Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. Richard Ryerson here. Great guest today. Deanne Turner is back on the show. She was here... Well, a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, she came from Chick-fil-A, and she's got a brand new book out there called Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture that Wins the Hearts of Customers. You know, when we come to running a business, we've talked about on the show, the most important decisions we make, it's not about the products, it's not about the location, not about the marketing, it's always about the people, right? It's always about the people. For 33 years, Deanne Turner has been recruiting, training, retaining some of the best employees in the restaurant business, particularly when she was with Chick-fil-A. Now she's here to talk about the secrets on how to build, sustain, and grow an organizational culture, one of my favorite topics. How do you track that world-class talent? How do you consistently delight the customer, no matter what industry you're in? And her book, Bad on Talent, it's a great book. I highly recommend that you go get it. It's an easy read, chock full of great stories, real-life stories that Deanne has lived, talking about how to create a remarkable company culture. How do we select? How do we, we find the right talent? How do we sustain them? How do we keep them? How do we nurture the internal relationships? How do we create company loyalty? That eventually leads to customer loyalty, right? And how do we instill that practice of servant leadership in everything that we do? Again, she's one of my favorite thought leaders, one of my favorite authors, just one of my favorite guests to have on the show, and it was an honor to have her on the show. Hey, this show is brought to you by me. It's brought to you by my services here. I talk a lot about uh, various sponsors, but today I want to talk to you about my leadership training. You know, So we talk about culture. If you're organization that's needing to develop an effective leadership culture and you've become dissatisfied with the status quo with mediocre results. I always say I like to punch mediocrity in the face. Well, my leadership training is a refreshing and effective dose of common sense, time-tested principles. It's proven to deliver lasting behavior change in individuals and effective culture improvement overall. You know, unlike traditional consultants whose flavor of the month methodologies and overly cumbersome process improvement management techniques, they drive me crazy. Typically, that means you got to invest a lot of money into their programs, into their philosophies, into their methodologies, and typically means additional resources. My programs, however, are focused inward. I'm all about streamlining your current systems and redeploying your already existing talent. You don't have to hire a bunch of people or even invest in some crazy program. I work with from within because I am a firm believer that most individuals and most organizations have all the tools they already need to be successful leaders and also ha- have a successful culture overall. And again, with any potential relationship, there's a possibility that we might not be a fit for each other. I'm very selective on who I do business with, and I don't usually have the time to work with a lot of clients, as I am flying a lot of times with American Airlines. However, if it was a match, I guarantee the combined forces would produce an amazing result. 
regardless of what program or method we use at the core, I will help you create a leadership culture of decentralized decision-making with a leadership responsibility spread throughout the entire organization, getting everybody to think and act like leaders, where the senior leaders become effective at strategy and intent and the middle and below become experts of empowered execution. You can learn out more at doseofleadership.com or reach out to me directly there. You can email me or call me, and I'd love to talk with you about if I could be a fit for your organization. And now on with the interview, Deanne Turner talking about her brand new book, Bet on Talent, How to Create a Remarkable Culture that Wins the Hearts of Customers, here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Deanne, thanks for coming back on the show. Welcome back to to Dose of Leadership. Thank you so much, Richard. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, it's it's been a few years since you've been on, but uh, I've, I've always been a big fan. I've been watching you, and we're Facebook friends, and I've been watching you on this media frenzy on this brand new book, a great, outstanding book. So uh, you've been a busy person. I sure have, um, and I, I'm really having fun with it. It's great to go and tell uh, stories about great brands who's, who are winning the hearts of their customers, and just to meet people that have read my books and talk to them about it, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I went through the book the last couple of days, and this is probably one of the uh, of all the topics of leadership. It's a it's a broad umbrella, but uh, the stuff you talk about in Bet on Talent uh, is near and dear to my heart, and stuff I like to talk about the most. So this is going to be a fun conversation. What what prompted you uh, to focus on talent in this book? Well, it really to, so to tell you the story of Bet on Talent. It comes from my first book. It's my pleasure. And that book went out of print because the publisher went out of business and Baker Publishing bought the rights to it. And they came to me and they said, hey, we like this book, but what we want you to do is take it and expand it and add more stories, different content, include other brands. So that's what I did. And uh, what we came away with, I thought, was a much better book. And so for the people who are I get emails every single day, people saying I can't find it. It's my pleasure. Well, you can because it's all in bed on talent. Uh, but for those who've read It's My Pleasure, it's also a different book. It's a lot more content. I give a lot more examples. And so um, that's where it starts to focus on talent. But really, I just have a passion for that. You know, in my career, for the most part, for 30 years, that's what I focused on. The last three years of my career before I went into my own business, I was leading sustainability at the organization. But uh, I really have a passion for talent, and I know that people decisions are the most important decisions that leaders make. You know, it seems when, especially when you read it, and you read it, uh, it it's you. You get slapped in the face with common sense, and much of leadership is that. Uh, however, as we all know, it's it's rarely common practice. Why do you think that is? I mean, it, when you look at your any organization, we all know it's about the people. But why is it so difficult for people to? understand that and if anything uh, implement some of the principles that you outline in the book well i think there's all these other pressures i mean we start with the pressure that people have right now it's a full employment economy right and for me uh this has happened three cycles in my career and this has been the worst one and so first of all people are just trying to get somebody in a spot because they need uh, the economy's great and the um you know, and employment is low, uh, unemployment is low. And so that's just a, a difficult thing. They also, I mean, there are all kinds of other pressures too. Maybe, maybe while the economy is good, their particular market isn't good or their brand is struggling or whatever the case is, uh, or they don't have the technology to reach their customers. 
uh, or, you know, one of the biggest crisis right now is around shipping and distribution. Right. It, it's hard to get what you need. And so all those other things vie for attention to selecting great and extraordinary talent. Right. And it's a long game, too. It's an, There's an investment involved. You know, the whole teaching a man to fish versus just doing it yourself. You're faced with that every single day. Right. And to, to invest in people is a long game and you don't see the results immediately. Sometimes you won't see them for a long time. Yeah, it's it's like the situation we're in right now. And I've had people ask me, what do I do? And you almost want a piece of advice. And I'm sure they don't love hearing me say this, but one piece of advice is, you know, what you need to do is right now prepare for the next cycle. Yeah, because this will end at some point. Unfortunately, we know the economy cyclical at some point, things are going to change and unemployment's going to rise and there's going to be more availability of people. But then the cycle will happen again. So you have to start preparing right now for this next cycle. And the way you do that, the first thing you do is focus on your culture because you have to be in an organization where people want to work. And so if you, um, and that's what happens in a full economy, um, excuse me, a full em- uh, employment economy like we have right now is that people who have prepared for that and they have a strong foundation of a remarkable culture where people want to work, then even in times like that, they still have people coming to them looking for that opportunity. But in, a t- in, in these times when you don't have a good culture, you're not going to be able to attract extraordinary talent. Yeah. I was talking to my daughter. She's in her first management role. She's 22. And um, we were having a pretty lengthy conversation the other night. And she's like, I just don't know. This is so difficult. I said, you know, it's a people game. It's, it's, it's a challenge. And she was talking about some of the things that you were mentioning. She was like, well, I just can't, I don't, it, the pool that I get to choose from is so limited. And I go, I know it's challenging in this type of economy. I said, but you got to start playing the long game. You start need to, you know, creating a culture or creating an environment where this is a place somebody wants to work. And it's about trying to, create a culture where I always contend the great organizations and you talk about it in your book is like they make them feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. How do, how do you think we should do that? How do you, how do you get started in that? How does, and so it's, it's always difficult too, when you, you find a culture that's kind of toxic or dysfunctional and then, and then you've got to steer that ship in the right direction. It's difficult, right? Right. That's the hardest place to be in is when you're a leader who believes in these principles but you're stuck in a toxic culture. So assuming that you have reasons for staying there and you want to transform it, my recommendation is you have to start where you are and who you are. And so if you're, let's just say you're a leader like your daughter, that you're not in charge of the organization, but you have this team you're leading. Well, start with your team mm-hmm. and, and uh, apply the elements of a remarkable culture. So start with why, as Simon Sinek says, and create a meaningful purpose for your team, the why you exist at all. And usually that why is bigger than just, you know, we're producing these widgets or whatever it is. The why is something bigger than the people that are are servicing the work because that's what people are attracted to, to be a part of something bigger. And then secondly, set for this team a challenging mission. What is the really big goal? What are they there to do? And um, rally those troops around that. And then third, uh, define for this group uh, what you, the beliefs you hold most dear and use them to be demonstrated core values for your team. And so that demonstrated word is really important 
Because if you just create a list of core values and you put them in a notebook or you put them on a screensaver or hang them on the wall, it's not meaningful till they're actually demonstrated by everybody that's committed to them. And so, um, so that's the way those three elements I think are really important. And that's how a leader who isn't necessarily in charge of the organization can begin to influence those around her or him. Yeah, I agree. And I love that you said that, that you know, particularly, I, I think people or a lot of us don't realize how much influence we have in an organization. I mean, so often the old standard, yeah, begins at the top and leadership starts at the top. That's great. But sometimes I see people sitting on the sidelines waiting for that perfect leader to come into the into the top ranks when in reality is as you put it out if you decided that you're not going to go somewhere else and you're going to be committed to this organization that you're at then start where you're at because the people that report to you you have way more influence over those people than than the ceo does right yeah absolutely and so if you can start at that level like I just think most people don't realize how much influence they have in an organization. And if you can just start changing those three or four, at least your world, I mean, it can make a significant impact, you know, two, three years down the road for an organization. Well, the worst, the worst thing that can happen, uh, I mean, it may not even be the worst thing, but you develop a set of skills for being able to do that, that That's you true. use somewhere else in a better environment. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I was remember I was, organization a year or so ago and I was talking with some VP and, and uh, he was upset that his CEO wasn't exhibiting the principles and the behavior that he th thought was near and dear. And so he just kind of sat on the sideline, almost took, he took his ball and went home. Right. Mm -hmm. And you could just <laughs> see the morale from his own team members. They fed off of him. And that's what is so critical for leaders to understand is like, man, they are watching you, whether you know it or not. And so that's what well, I think that's what makes leadership so hard. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, we know that, that, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave managers and leaders and mm -hmm. they also stay for those people. If they have a great working relationship, it's highly valued. And some of these principles that I've just talked about are things that make that uh, feel like a great place to work and a great leader to work for. I love in your book and you open it up about talking about rules and, um, culture and how rules uh, impact a culture. I've said this so often that, and I see when things are going south, I see these leaders and managers, they, they, they put up a new set of rules and they put, it's almost like they become the police, you know, to enforce mm -hmm. these rules and these laws. And I've always contended that that kind of leads to even more dysfunction when, and you, in your book, you point out you need to be focusing on principles. Well said, let's talk about that a little bit. What do you, what do you mean by that principles versus rules? Sure. So let me start by telling you a story because I think it illustrates it, um, well what I'm talking about, this difference between a rules-based culture and a principles-based culture. And I go on to say that a rules-based culture often is a toxic culture, right. while a principles-based culture is often a remarkable culture. But I, I spend a lot of time in hotels. I know you do too, yes. <laughs> in travel. And so we learn, I mean, I have a lot of customer examples, but I was looking forward to being in this one hotel. I was the guest. Uh, I was a speaker at a, a national conference, and I was really excited because it was at a really nice property. I approached the desk, and when I was about 12 feet away, the desk clerk kind of yelled across the lobby there, checking in. That was yeah. just how he said it. And I walked up, and I started the conversation with him. I said, would you like my loyalty number? And he said, oh, I don't need that. You're not getting any points for this. Your host is paying for this room. <laughs> 
that was my first signal that something was really wrong here. And I won't go into all the details, but this continues until I get to, this has kind of led me to my final conclusion was with room service. I had ordered breakfast and they called me about 10 minutes before the breakfast window expired of when they were supposed to be there. And she walks in and told me she was on the way. She walks in the room. She's carrying a train. She said, I sure hope you have a coffee cup in here because I forgot one. And uh, that started it. And then she said, then she said, I didn't bring you any bread. It's included with your breakfast, but you didn't check it. And when you don't check it, I just don't bring it. And so I had this confused look on my face because there was butter and jelly on the train. And she said, she said, and she must have seen that look because she said, well, if you want an English muffin, I'll go get one. I said, thank you very much. Well, while she was gone, by the way, she responded, no problem. <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, so anyway, as she was gone, I reflected on that. And I thought, you know, when she called me to tell me she was on her way, that was the perfect time to say, I noticed you didn't check any uh, bread. Do you want bread today? It's included with your meal. But you know what? This employee was so full of that toxic rules based culture that she had started making up her own rules. Right. And, and that is what happens in a toxic culture. The next thing you know, employees are making the rules and, and they're focused on following rules to keep from getting in trouble instead of what they should be focused on, which is serving the customer. And in a principles-based culture, and I, I really can't think of a better example. I see this time and time again when I visit Chick-fil-A restaurants. Those franchisees have taught their team members this idea of going above and beyond what's expected. So what they talk about second mile service, first mile service is, you know, getting the order right, being reasonably friendly, being, you know, getting it to them in a reasonable amount of time. But they see second mile service as competitive advantage. It's doing things like, um, you know, taking the order, taking the order to the table and setting up high chairs for the guest and taking large court orders out of the, out to the car. But you know what? These operators have freed the these team members up so much to serve customers. They're going way beyond that. Right. With this principle in mind, they're out changing tires in the parking lot and jumping off dead batteries and dumpster diving for discarded dental appliances in the you know dumpster. And they're driving uh, wallets that have been left in the restaurant or purses twenty five miles to the guest. I mean, amazing. And the stories just go on and on and on. I have one on my Facebook page of a team member crawling out of a manhole that yeah, a customer that, yeah. had dropped a telephone down <laughs> yeah. in the manhole and he went down there and got it for yeah, I, I saw you posted that the other day. Yeah, just amazing. Yeah. But that's what happens when you teach people principles. Right. And you, and, you, and you select the kind of people that can thrive in that environment. Because if you were a principles-based organization, but you only selected people who, who want rules to follow, then they're not going to thrive in that. And that's not going to work at all. And the opposite is true to people who want to be in a principles-based environment and they get stuck complying to a stack of rules. They're not going to be at their best either. Yeah. It puts everybody in a box, right? And everybody, everybody's afraid to just like your example of uh, the woman who, you know, she had a checklist and noticed that you didn't check bread and she was just worried more at the checklist and the rules as opposed to satisfying you and or taking care of you. Yeah. You know, another a great example I thought in culture that we've seen was, you know, do you remember a few years ago when that, um, oh, that doctor was drug off that plane, that United yes. Airlines? 
that to me is a perfect example of that because you had a whole series of groups, individual departments who were adhering to their rules. And because they were adhering to the rules, they missed the bigger picture of what we're trying to do, the common sense, right? And so you had right. a gauge agent that had a rule said, I have to close this door by this. And I have to get these people, these, these other pilots to this other destination. You had a pilots that were going, this isn't, you know, I, I can't take control of the plane until the gates, the doors closed and, right. and so forth and so on. And you end up with that kind of debacle. Yeah, if you don't exactly. have a, pur a purpose or a why, or what you're trying to accomplish or a principle, then you, then you resort back to your rules because that's all you have. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Well, what, what, what can we do to, um, kind of combat that if we find ourselves in that, that, that kind of environment and say you're that hotel clerk, right? And maybe right. you got a set of rules and you don't feel empowered to take care of that guest. You know, you, maybe you don't have the authority to comp a room for say, what, what do you do? Well, I think if you're, I think what I find is most people have been so conditioned, they don't realize that they're in that. And, and a lot of times in a rules-based culture, they've selected people to follow rules. And so, you know, if you find yourself in that situation, you're probably needing to go find a job. And this is a great e economy to do that <laughs> if that's not your culture, because uh, it's really hard if you're, you know, if you're not in leadership, it's really hard to change a culture from that. Now, let's say you're a leader in an organization like that and you recognize all of my people are operating this way. Uh, the first thing I think you have to do is figure out who, what role in the organization is the critical role that makes shifts in your culture. So let's say I was a manufacturing company. For me, that role would probably be my plant managers. Right. They would have the most influence in shifting culture. So you start there and you look at all of your talent systems for that one role. Okay, so what's the profile of this person? Uh, how do I select them? What's the process for doing that? How are these people developed? How are they promoted? How are they compensated? Everything about the all of the talent systems that you have, focus on that shifting that run role. And if you will, it's like the tipping point. And if you can shift the culture through that one leader that impacts so many others, then you go to the next role and you do the same thing, but you have to figure out, you know, what is the most critical role in your organization and start there. That's great advice. I think a lot of times we feel overwhelmed, like, you know, we want to change this culture and we feel like we got to change everybody's hearts and minds. And really what you got to do to your point is find that ambassador, find that critical role and then find an ambassador for that role. And then things start to magnify is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, exactly. And then they can, they can uh, reproduce, if you will, exactly. I mean, that, that effort. One thing I love about the book too, you talk about the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I learned that really early in my own career. Um, and I had a leader at Chick-fil-A. In fact, he's the president now. And uh, he, uh, he was my boss for 16 years and he really, ingrained that in me. And that's where that concept originally came from. The idea that there's enough for everyone. And then once I understand the principle, I started seeing it everywhere. I would go to uh, on mission trips uh, where I've served in Kenya. And I would notice that when, you know, I would uh, provide a chocolate bar to a, one of the children, <clears throat> Hershey's are perfect for this because they, they break apart in even pieces and, and they'd start breaking it apart and sharing with their friends. Because they receive more joy 
that there was enough for everybody and everybody got to participate than keeping it all to themselves. And with a scarcity mentality, that's what we start believing is that we have to compete instead of collaborate. Right. We need to compete because, you know, there are only so many positions and I want to be sure I get one of them. There's only so much business. You know, there it, it, it's uh, it makes me think of the the path that I'm on right now with books. Do you know how many books have been released in the last month on culture and people? <laughs> I don't know, but there's a bunch ton of them. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I think that's um, I could look at that as, oh, look at the competition. It was the month I released my book. Or I could say there are lots of good ideas in all of these books. And I need to celebrate all these other authors for bringing that to the table, too, because when we put it all together, we improve the marketplace together. And so I maybe that's a, you know, too Pollyanna of an idea, but I can tell you it served me really well. And it eliminated a lot of personal frustration when I wasn't worried about competing with other people. And instead I was collaborating. I didn't have that that frustration that took up space that made me less productive or less effective as a leader. Yeah. I don't think it's Pollyanna at all. I think that, I think that's the obligation that we have that we always should be striving towards. You're right. Because I think that the selfish pig in all of us wants to hold things close to our chest because we're afraid of losing. Mm -hmm. But when we give freely and we don't expect anything in return, I think we all know from experience that all those buckets that you're wanting to get filled overflow with abundance when you freely give and don't expect anything in return. Right. I mean, it's the kind of the dichotomy. It doesn't seem like the selfish side of the ego side of you is going to say, Oh no, hold it closed. Only take care, care of yourself because no one's going to take care of you. But if you freely give and freely give, uh, you'll be rewarded exponentially. I mean, that's, it's the whole giver's gain mentality, right? Yes. And I, I think that, you know, I think you're exactly right about that. And, and you win personally and everybody around you does. Absolutely. Well. What about focusing on the customer? I think it's, you know, obviously we're, you spend a lot of time in the book talking about how to, what can we do individually? What can we do in as various roles within organization? But ultimately we're going to have to get the customer. I mean, that's what it's all about. If we're not focusing on the customer, then we don't have a business. And so how do we get the, the, the focus on them? Um, Richard, we'll have to do an edit here. You broke up on me on that Oh, I did? Question. I'm sorry. Yes. That's okay. Could we start over and you just start that question over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank let me, you. Let me put a mark here in my notes about the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So we, in your book, you talk a lot about, um, you know, what can we do as individuals? What can we do as leaders with an organization is focusing and getting our team to adopt a culture. But at some point, we're going to have to focus on the customer. If we're not focused on the customer, then we don't really have a business. So what can we do? Because we want our customers to experience this, this new culture too, right? Right. So the first thing, of course, is creating that remarkable culture among your team. Because when you do that, it flows out of them automatically. And you can't engage customers in that unless you have that. And then, you know, you free them up by teaching them principles. And then all of a sudden, they start becoming a part of your organization. It reminds me of it. There's a story about Mr. John in the book and Mr. John is a widow or uh, in Florida. And he started uh, when, he, after he lost his wife, he started visiting the Chick-fil-A quite often because he was lonely. Right. And, and the team members just took him in and he had a, he has, he actually goes there every day. And the last time I checked, which has been rather recently, he's in his nineties. He was still going every day. Really? And, 
Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, he goes to that restaurant every day and he, they would feed him and he would, you know, he, it was how he healed from his grief. Well, he stayed there so much that he really became an honorary team member. They gave him a badge that said ambassador and Mr. John. And one of the funniest stories he told me about something he did was when, it, you know, it doesn't get very cool in Florida very often, but when it, there was a cool morning, he would bring his hairdryer from home and warm the hands of the guests as they came in. Now, this guy was not on the payroll, but, <laughs> right. he, but he loved this Chick-fil-A restaurant, the franchisee and those team members so much uh, and the brand um, that he just became naturally engaged. And he, he was invited to team member outings and all kinds of things. But I think when you when you serve people and you do something so consistently that it becomes legendary, that the people that love your brand just start to become of that, become that too. Uh, you know, and, and if I'll give, so I'll give you some personal examples. I have two favorite, well, I can't give you one because I live in Atlanta. So I fly a different airline more, uh, obviously that's my airline because I live in Atlanta and I fly them most often. So we won't talk about that one, but the second one, uh, a brand that I love and have great experiences and advocate for is Chico's. It's a women's clothing store. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with it, Richard. Yeah, and, I'm familiar. Um, so I shop there very often. And the reason I go there is because they know my name. They know my styles, my favorite colors, my sizes. They know my story. They know I'm in Dallas this week. And when I get back, they're going to say, how did your trip to Dallas go? Who did you speak to there? And how's your mom Joyce doing, by the way? And I love, sometimes I go there just to hang out. And of course I end up buying something um, because I'll, because just like the old cheers bar, you know, years yeah, and years right. ago, everybody knows, knows your, your name. name. Yeah. Well, I'm known when I go there and they, they treat me really specially. Now I'll tell you something about the brand. That's my, my Chico's in Peachtree city, Georgia. That's the one I go to and I have a relationship, but I go to Chico's all over because I'm traveling all the time. And I'll, I'll stop in just to see if I have a similar experience. I haven't had a bad one yet. I've been, I bet I've been to 50 stores. So I think that whole, um, and I get engaged. And so the point that I was going to make is when I'm there, other customers will be shopping and I'll turn and I say, that looks really pretty on you. And you know what? They have this necklace over here that matches that perfectly. I'm selling the product as a customer because, yeah. yeah, because I'm so, because I love, the way I'm treated there. And uh, so it, it, it motivates me um, to be an ambassador of that brand. Yeah. C- bad customer service is one of my biggest pet peeves to, to the bane of my, my family. They get embarrassed if, I, <laughs> you know, because I just, and but we, we become such, um, we let it happen sometimes to organizations. Right. And um, I could name a list of organizations that have treated me and I'm not a poly, I'm, I'm not a prima donna or a diva or anything like that who expect, I just want some basic common courtesy. Right. And, but right. it doesn't take much to go above and beyond. Yeah. It does take some effort to learn your story, but the payoffs are so much, you know, the, the reward is so much better than, than if I have an unhappy experience or I leave a customer unhappy. Right. It takes so much work to dig out of that hole as opposed to doing the work and the investment of learning your story. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, and it's all about, you know, it starts with selecting that extraordinary talent and that have people that have a heart for service. If somebody is going to serve a customer, be sure they have a heart for service as a part of your, 
requirements for that role. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get somebody, you know, and I, it's funny that I talk about that brand. I walked right next door one time to their competitor and dealt with a salesperson that did not have a heart for service whatsoever. And she was, she was rude to her coworkers and she was rude to the customer. And I, and I thought, you know, this is, you know, you're basically selling the same product right next to each other, but I'm not going back to that other place again because I didn't like the way I was treated. Well, I know it can be a challenge too for that service industry. I mean, I look at as you know, I'm in the airline industry and, and um, particularly the, the, the gate agents and the flight attendants who are the customer facing role, the primary one, mine's not so much so because the door's always closed now, mm-hmm. but yeah, boy, it really stands out when someone really is, I mean, and it's difficult. I mean, I've seen that, you know, people can be really rude and it's a commodity type business, but man, when that great service stands out, it, it, it makes the world a difference. And you can just see when people exiting the plane, if you've got a great flight attendant team, it's amazing watching the customers leave the plane as opposed to someone that was, you know, dealt with someone that was pretty cranky. It's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, I was on the plane on uh, a couple days ago and, and the two flight attendants arrived at the get, uh, the passenger at the same time. And the passenger was finishing a drink and they were closing up to get ready to land. And so the first flight attendant, she said to him, you need to gulp that down right now. <laughs> and so he, he picks it up and she goes, and I guess he looked at her. I'm not sure what happened. She said, I've got to take that now. Just like that. Wow. The other flight attendant said, that's okay. I'll come back in just a moment for that. Right. Simple. And and just watching the difference, I mean, working for the same airline, obviously, but just looking at the difference of how they handled that guest and who was more attentive to the guest, the passenger. Yeah, something's been lost, you know, and I get it. And it can, people can be rude, but it is a service industry, right? You got to remember that you're there to serve the people. And it's the same with the leadership role. It is all about the people business. You have to be in love with the idea of serving people. I think, I think that's the first one. I think, you know, knowing that you're here to serve. And I think also a commitment um, to working together as a team. Um, and then I think knowing what your purpose is and focusing on that. And then that spirit of continuous improvement. Yeah. You know, what's next? How can, we, how can we make this experience even better? It's one of the things I always loved about Disney when I was ra- raising my children. You know, I, the first experience and the 10th experience I have at Disney, they were both fantastic, but they were different because they have this spirit of continuous right. improvement and innovation. What what can we do to make this even better? And uh, I really enjoyed those, you know, engaging as a customer with those brands who are always focusing on how can I make this experience even better after they're already considered really outstanding. Yeah, for sure. Well, what's next for you? Obviously, you're, you're on your own. You got your own business. You're speaking. You're cons- are you consulting? What are you doing? I am doing some consulting uh, with a few clients. I've been uh, busy writing under contract for another book. So I'm getting ready to get that started as soon as we close out this book tour. Um, I wouldn't say it's not started, but really in earnest, uh, putting my notes together and and pulling that together. And then uh, I am and I am consulting. I'm speaking about 50 times a year. Uh, So I spend time. I spend more time doing that. And I really love it because I like it keeps me engaged with people. And I, and I work with a few organizations with their CEOs and their um, chief human resource officers to help them create their remarkable cultures and take a look at their and strategize around their talent systems. And, uh, but it's been, I'm having a lot of fun in this season of life. 
Well, I think it's great. I think the book is a great go-to for anybody out there that, that you know, I know that's going to be one of those that I put on my shelves and refer to time and time again uh, because it, it talks a lot about the stuff I'm passionate about, stuff we talk about here on the show. Um, it sounds like you're getting some great success, great reviews. Um, I think the, the I, feedback I get from people, they enjoy bet on talent because it, uh, it tells it, it almost simply explains the principles with lots of storytelling. And then it's also a tactical manual. It's like, I yeah. want to know how to do that. And it's literally one, two, three, four. This is how you select extraordinary talent. These are the questions you ask. This is the process. So the feedback's been really strong and, and I'm glad it's helping people. Yeah, it's a great book and I highly recommend it uh, to all my listeners out there. Um, again, you didn't disappoint. And I know when I had you on a few years ago, I knew this when I saw this book come out, I knew I had to get you back because it's just, uh, like I said, it's, it's written in such a way that, that it is tactical, but at the same time, I love all the stories that what, that's what makes it so great. Well, thank you, Richard. And I hope that your listeners also will connect with me on at LinkedIn at Deanne Turner or my Facebook author page, Deanne Turner, Instagram and Twitter at Deanne Turner as well. Yeah. I was going to ask how could people get in touch with you and you just did. So, uh, oh, and my website and the website, DeanneTurner.com. I'll have links to this on the post. If you guys want to check it out at doseofleadership.com, I'll have links to all of Deanne's stuff. I really appreciate you coming back on the show, Deanne. It's uh, been a pleasure having you back. Really enjoyed talking with you, Richard. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dose of Leadership. I do appreciate your support. If you could do a couple of things for me, go subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast app. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And if you could do that for me, I would truly appreciate it. Also, if you're interested in working with me, if you're interested in some team leadership training, go to doseofleadership.com and check out Legacy Leader Blueprint. I understand how difficult it can be to get effective leadership training for your team. It never seems like you have the time or the budget. My course, Legacy Leader Blueprint, solves that problem. Quality leadership training that doesn't disrupt your busy schedule or break your budget. 20 high-impact videos and 6 hours of live group coaching with me that will allow you and your team to become true leaders of influence. I will teach you how to defeat mediocrity and stagnation, create high-impact cultures of initiative, and build empowered teams with high degrees of trust. Go check out doseofleadership.com, click on Legacy Leader Blueprint, and enroll your team today. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. 
Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big. 